0: These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are The Other Stories. <laughs> Today's episode of The Other Stories is nine-tenths of the Law," written by Dexter McLeod and narrated by Jasmine Arch.
1: Tallulah Briggs stood on her balcony, surrounded by stone statues, their veined marble mimicking the undertones of lifelike flesh. She glared at the ribbon of road that hugged close to the water's edge as waves lapped musically on the rocky beach. The narrow county lane turned sharply back into the forest before racing away eastward from Lake Barkley. It quickly disappeared into the golden brown shadows of late evening dusk. She seldom blinked, despite the dryness of her olive eyes. Instead, she hugged her thin frame against the slight autumn chill. She adjusted the crimson shawl that crowned her ivory dress like a blood-capped mountain peak, all beneath the volcano of her strawberry-red hair. The cawing of crows reverberated out of the hollows and echoed across the lake. Something disturbed them, and they took flight from the trees in flocks. She wondered what an ancient Greek prophet might tell her as they heaved and changed directions in unison like a single mind, a super-organism in flight. What does that ornithomancy augur, she puzzled, before they shot overhead and out of sight across the lake. An ill omen, or a propitious one? The air tasted more like December, but the shock of red and yellow trees placed a higher bid for October. Tallulah could hear the approaching car long before she could see it. In answer, she tossed back a second tumbler of 12-year-old Kentucky bourbon, with just a hint of a smile to chase the satisfying burn. After everything Deirdre Oust was paying her, Tallulah could have afforded better. Hell, she could buy her own distillery with the payout she'd earned from the oust family fortune. It had taken her years of work, but tonight was the night. Some things, she knew, had no price. And some things, she thought, smiling, ...had a price too high to pay. The sound of the nearby engine revved... ...as the blur of the signature Salamanca Blue paint... ...weaved through the trees. Deirdre's chauffeurs steered the car expertly... ...as it broke through the tree line like a mechanised berth. The crisp chattering of dry fallen leaves chased the car... ...caught in the wake of its wind. It skirted near the beach... ...as the road terminated in Tallulah's hidden driveway... Deirdre's Rolls-Royce ghost purred as it parked. It was fitting that the woman's car had such a name. Tonight was about chasing ghosts, or perhaps being pulled forward by them. Driven like skeletal riders atop fiery steeds during the wild hunt. Ghosts, yes. Ghosts and other such things. Talula began the painful descent of the exterior staircase, grasping her silver-handled cane, her external, clicking companion that went with each laboring step. Tonight, those painful steps brought her closer to her benefactor. Deirdre's chauffeur was opening the door for her as Tallulah arrived, and the 70-year-old woman grunted as she squirmed her way out of the car and lurched onto both feet. Deirdre's white blonde hair was pulled tight into a customary bun on the back of her head, though a few rebellious threads had escaped and were dancing in the mid-October breeze. Her dress was green, like that of her sea-glass-coloured eyes, and its cut and draping were perhaps two decades too young for her. But since her husband had passed nearly ten years ago, she had maintained a string of thirty- and forty-something courtiers. They were kept men, and no doubt, flattering of her. "'Miss Briggs said Deirdre, batting away help from her chauffeur. "'Fortunate that I was stateside when you rang. "'I have a mare about to foal at my Lexington horse farm, and I always try to supervise. "'She's late, you see. "'Any time now, really. "'I must get back, and I've planned a flight back home to Munich by week's end. "'So I expect you have results.' "'Yes, Mrs. Oust. "'I know your time is valuable, but I trust you'll be well-pleased.' Your collection is complete. For a moment, Deirdre's gaze became greedy in the dying dusk light, before narrowing into the well-practiced shape of the businesswoman's suspicion. It was a small tell, Tallulah knew, but a rare one for a woman as shrewd as Deirdre. Her fortune had been hers, not her late husband's, and not a penny or investment went unnoticed by her. You'll wait here, Mister Niece, said Deirdre. And call ahead... I want the jet ready. If I'm satisfied with Miss Briggs' results, I'll need to be in Berlin this time tomorrow. Yes, ma'am. Tallulah feigned a smile at young Frederick, wondering in which mailroom, masseuse service or modelling agency Deirdre had found him. He was a plaything, to be sure, and no doubt a well-deserved one. The woman unapologetically earned what she had. But it was the darker appetites that had brought Deirdre to Tallulah's door. And all the better for it. In that way, Tallulah half recognised herself in Deirdre. They all came to her eventually, all the bored and rich, especially the long in the tooth, wanting to catch a glimpse of what's just beyond the veil, especially before they go there in person. Maybe they want the excitement, or the knowledge, or the power. But after this contract was finished, Tallulah would have her own well deserved turn at the wheel. Her own power. And perhaps. Deirdre cast a momentary glance at Tallulah's cane as she crept forward to join her, a look Tallulah never failed to notice. Deirdre was still lithe, if gruntingly so, and what age had taken from her, plastic surgeons and tonics had replaced. They turned and walked together toward the manor, Tallulah's silver handled cane clicking as they went. As the sun dipped down beneath the tree line on the opposite side of the lake, another burst of calling crows breached the horizon, filling the water with distorted reflections in the waves. The mahogany foyer was dimly lit, but they passed through and entered a side hallway which led toward the manor's lower chambers. "'I've been meaning to ask you, Miss Briggs, why here, of all places?' Pardon? If you'd told me that you needed me to buy you a manor in Cairo, or Rome, or Prague, I would have completely understood. Occult powers run deeply in those cities, or so I'm given to understand. I suppose the serenity of the lake is nice in its own modest way. I'm sure it has a certain quaint charm. But Western Kentucky, and you'll forgive me for saying so, isn't the Catacombs of Paris... Perhaps. But there is power here. We're near the joining of four rivers. The Mississippi, the Tennessee, the Ohio, and the Cumberland. It's a convergence of ley lines and a focal point of cosmic energy. Reality is a bit thinner here. In the right hands, water can be either a barrier or a lubricant for slipping between worlds. The Mesopotamians weren't fools. They built their cities along the four Edenic rivers too, The Euphrates, the Tigris, the Gihon, and the Pishon. The gates I've created here are no less dangerous. Deirdre's eyes were bright with interest. And this made it easier? Easier? Making a doorway is easy. Making one that can swing in both directions, that's hard any old fool with the right books can raise the dead or call upon the void but controlling what you raise or channeling what you call that is altogether a different matter you can find them right now this very minute chanting blindly from tomes they cannot control they pour over the clavicula Salomonis. They pine over passages from the Picatrix, and they scry in dark corners, hoping to contact outer intelligences with the Pseudo Monarchia demonum. They're dogs chasing cars. In her hunger, Deirdre did not perceive the insult. And it's well and truly finished? Yes, ma'am. Your own supernatural Kunstkammer is complete, a perfect. And living occultic cabinet of curiosities, and they wait for you and your questions below. Tallulah swung open the door at the base of the stairs, giving Deirdre's eyes a handsome feast. The chamber was roughly circular, with six niches set into the circumference of the wall at regular intervals. Each had a curtain concealing its contents and the chamber's floor tiles contained an intricate, six-pointed, unicursal hexagram, all beneath a dome of painted stars. In the center stood an ornate, high-backed chair with a rotating base. Deirdre walked ahead into the chamber, as Tallulah followed slowly behind, ambling with her cane. Please, have a seat, Mrs. Oust. Deirdre sat in the chair, and Tallulah circumambulated the room, walking to the first curtain. There are six classes of possession, broadly speaking, and I have collected the finest, most premier examples of each for your Kunstkammer. Of course, those so possessed have views into realms otherwise closed to us. Each can peer forth into their native domains to answer your queries. She threw back the first curtain. Inside was a small antechamber, Mere feet in diameter, and in its centre sat a woman in a similar high-backed chair. Her dark hair was mussed and unkempt, and her clothes were torn and ragged. First, we have possession by the dead, the lingering spirits who refuse to cross over, who hold on to the living world. In her resides the mind of a man who was a powerful sorcerer in these darker arts. The vistas of the dead are open to him, and now to you. And he obeys. How so? Tallulah pointed to a white circle on the floor around the possessed woman's chair. A special binding circle, made from sacred salts gathered from around the world and constructed with necromancies taught in the Tornoskias. Tornoskias? You've laid eyes upon the black lathe? I have. I thought that book was a myth. You don't pay me for myths. Deirdre's gaze snapped to the other curtains. And what other possessions have you gathered for me? Tallulah drew back the second curtain. A teenage boy sat in another chair, but he appeared well-fed and happy. His eyes shone like flames, and a glowing crown of smokeless fire hovered above his head. A red circle surrounded his chair, entwined with ornate letters in Arabic. In this boy resides a jinn. Isn't that quite dangerous? The jinn are neither good nor evil, but merely are. When they possess, it is often out of a desire for closeness, for friendship, even for love. It is a blending, and as such, the access to their realms is quite strong. Other curtains were thrown back, revealing her other prizes, each sat upon chairs in the centers of spell circles meant to bind them. The third alcove contained a 20 something woman who held an elemental. An elemental? Yes, a large class of beings found in legends all around the world. Many are tricksters or shapeshifters, others are shadow people. Many are tied to places. Some are abstractions, some are nature and animal spirits like dryads or kitsunes. A fourth held an old man who Tallulah said contained an invocation. They are powerful beings called to inhabit. The Loa of Voodoo, the Tulpa of the Far East, the watchtower guardians of the pagan Sabbaths. And the fifth, she asked, pointing to a middle-aged man. The most common possession of all, a fallen, Mrs. Oust, a demon, bound by Enochian sigils and sanctified charms. They each have a domain and an anchor. The dead wish for life, the jinn for companionship, the elementals for sensation, the invoked for physicality, and the fallen for corruption. And the sixth possessed. Haven't you guessed? All that remains is a divine, a god, an old god, in fact and her vistas are incomprehensible. You've drawn down a god for me. There are old things that glisten under dying starlight, wet with expectation. It is but a little thing for them to slip unheeded into our spaces, bringing with them the yawning emptiness of their voids. They have answers, yes, but to questions your mind has yet to ask. She is the Empress of Gates, the queen of doorways. Or rather, she will be. Talula drew back the final curtain, revealing an empty alcove. You see, I needed the blood from the other five to call upon the sixth, to crack the door open so she could slip through. Talula grabbed Deirdre's chair and spun her into the alcove, into the center of a black circle. Please... You can't. Oh no, my dear. You came of your own free will. You were searching for the wider world and that cavernous, hungry moor has found you. It it can't have me. She can't have me. My soul is my own. You can't have my permission. I do not submit. Permission? Submission to a god? submission is not required for possession that i have you here in my circle is all i require possession is as they say nine tenths of the law the universe cracked open like a rotten egg And the bloody yoke of reality ran red as the Empress of Gates poured herself down into Deirdre Oust, And through her, the Queen of Doors spilled into the world.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. Nine Tenths of the Lore was written by Dexter McLeod. Narrated by Jasmine Arch, edited by Carl Hughes, and music by Dark Fantasy Studio and Tom Robson. And sound effects provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. A quick thanks to our community managers, Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and Carolyn O'Brien for helping with some mission reading. And of course to Ben Errington, the mystical content wizard, sorting Instagram posts from Twitter posts and Facebook posts with his social media sorting hat. Dexter McLeod is a writer from the southern United States, though he vacations on the shores of Dim Carcosa. He writes in the darker shades of southern gothic, folk and cosmic horror, science fiction and the new weird. His work can be found in Upon a Thrice Time, a fairy tale themed anthology from Pittsburgh's Air and Nothingness Press, in White Christmas, a holiday themed horror anthology from Canadian publisher T.Spec, and here in other volumes of The Other Stories. You can follow him on Twitter at Dexter MacLeod. Jasmine Arch is a writer, poet, narrator, podcaster, and all-round chaos of brains. She lives in a nook of Belgian countryside with two horses, four dogs, and a husband who knows better than to distract her when she's writing. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in The Other Stories, NewMyths.com, and Hybrid Fiction, among others. Find out more about her and her work at JasmineArch.com. The Other Stories is a production of the Story Studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No-Derivatives License. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means, share the hell out of it. Until next time.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,